and I want you to use your imaginations this morning with this and what I'm going to do with it. So you have to imagine what it is. You have to imagine where I am and what I'm doing. Who's that drawing a line? Where would I be drawing a line? Who's, that, who's ever done that? You know what? I did have planned to bring a stick this morning, but that was the closest that I could get. I believe that for Mary and Joseph, in the Christmas story, a line was drawn. It wasn't drawn in the sand, it was drawn in time. And that's what I want to investigate this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles there, turn to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. And we're going to be looking at a line, a, a, a line in time for Mary and Joseph. We're going to be looking at their story. I want to tell you another story about a line. This line happened in our household. And Cheryl will remember this. We had uh, two girls, two daughters, two years apart. And in their early teens, I think it was, close to that, maybe pre-teens, uh, they shared a bedroom. And uh, um, they didn't get on with each other in that bedroom. They got on better when we moved into separate bedrooms. But one of the daughters had this great idea. She found a roll of masking tape in my office and she put this line across the bedroom carpet. And she said to her sister, this is my side and that's your side. The problem was that the door was on my side. So how is the other one going to get out the door? And that caused more problems. But there's this thing about drawing a line, or a line that we can identify with. Uh, I believe that what happened at Christmas was a significant line, uh, line in time. Not just for Mary and Joseph, but for us as well. And when, for, for them, what happened at Christmas was uh, prior to that line was then, and with this line is now. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I don't know if many of us were uh, battlers as young fellows, but um, you may have said at some stage, don't you dare cross this line. Don't put your hands up to own that statement. But some of us have done that. Some of us might have been the bold ones that crossed the line and weren't sure what we were going to face at the other side. But for this line, it's an event in history, in the history of mankind in the world, that has defined history. And I want to ask you about this line. You may know about it. A line in the sand, that's what I've just talked about. But this line in time is a line that has defined history for nations and for people. BC, what's it mean? Ticks were always before Christ. Guess what's coming? AD, what's that mean? No, it's not after. It is Anno Domini, or Domini. That's, that's the Latin for it. And what does it mean? Sorry, who said that? In the year of our Lord, correct. It means in the year of our Lord. So whenever you see AD, don't use those letters. It means in the year of our Lord. And that's a defining time in history. And it happened with the birth of Christ. Prior to that time, time was defined by the ruler of the day. And you may recall that at the birth of Jesus, when we read the Gospels, at the birth of Jesus, the 
ruler of the day, the Roman ruler of the day, was Caesar Augustus. Do you remember that name? And we know that Augustus died in 14 in the year of the Lord, 14 AD. Then later on, at the time of when Christ went to his crucifixion, what was the name of the ruler then? Do you remember? We just call him Caesar, but he was actually Caesar Tiberius. And he lasted in life until 37 AD, or 37 in the year of our Lord. So this birth of Christ became a defining line, a line in time for the whole world. And yet for Mary and Joseph, who came from the most humble of beginnings, I'm sure they didn't have a full comprehensive of what was going to happen to them from the time of the birth of Christ on. The world has changed because of the birth of Christ. Would you agree? The world has changed. Lots of things have happened in this world because of the birth of Christ. I believe because of the birth of Christ, the way people view the poor in their society has changed. Not in all societies, but in many societies. There's this compassion towards the poor and the needy. Education is viewed differently. Prior to Christ, education was only for the elite. But since Christ, education has been offered to people from all stratas in life. The sick are viewed differently. At one stage, uh, for, many, for many years, uh, the sick were left on their own. They were left to defend on their own. Then we saw hospitals built and, uh, and, and, and uh, universities built to, to investigate and research diseases. Isn't it sad that it's gone full circle nearly and now the sick are left on their own or the dying left on their own to a certain extent to make decisions? But 2,000 years ago or thereabouts in a small stable in a village, God drew a line in the sand, as it were, a line in time. And because of what happened when Jesus was born, the world changed. It changed Mary and Joseph's world, but it changed the whole world. So I'm going to look at the passages in Matthew, and today we're going to focus on how it changed Mary and Joseph's world, but I believe we can take a lesson from that as well. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, this is what it says. In fact, give me a rest, you can read it. Let's read it. Verse 18. This... While she was well, sorry, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant. It says there. That's not the way it normally happens, is it? In Luke's account, the angel Gabriel visits Mary with the news that she is going to have a son, and he makes this statement to her in Luke's gospel. Sorry, Mary asked, "How can this happen? I'm a virgin." I could just imagine in our current vernacular, she she might say. Hold on a minute, mate. Um, there's a small problem here, and, and the problem is that I've never been with a man. So how's this going to work? Sadly, there are those at this time of the year throughout our world that deny the virgin birth. They deny the miraculous conception, as it were, the virgin birth. They say it was impossible. And in our minds, it is impossible, isn't it? It just doesn't happen that way. Even more sad, there are preachers who will not 
say that the virgin birth was important. And that's because they don't trust the word of God completely. And that's very sad. But while it might be impossible in our eyes for this to happen, I won't try to argue with the angel Gabriel. He's closer to God than I am. And I think he's got it straight, straight from we went to the horse's mouth, straight from God's mouth. Because he says in verse 37 in Luke, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it? Nothing is impossible with God. And so we have this line in time. The human birth of God's son. It was special. It was supernatural. It was a part of God's plan. It was outside the laws of nature. It was outside the ordinary way because there was nothing ordinary about it. It was God breaking into this world, as it were, in human form to show us what God's like. That was the plan. Paul writes later on in one of his letters that if you can't accept the resurrection, then there's no, no point in believing in the, um, in the uh, um, miraculous birth of Christ as well. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of of your sins, Paul writes. So for those who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, we don't need to argue about the birth of Christ. But for us, it's real. If they don't believe in Christ's resurrection, they don't believe in the birth of Christ, then I think they're on the wrong side, actually. They're not on the side of Christ. They're not on the side of faith. So if... The other argument is, if Mary wasn't... uh, If she was a virgin, rather... Who was the father? Was it Joseph? I don't think so. Because the Bible tells us that he was a good man. And he was upset to find out that his fiancée was pregnant. So I don't think it was Joseph. So the implications are that if it wasn't God, it wasn't a miraculous uh, conception, then she must have been guilty of adultery because she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And I did some research this week on the whole betrothal. You might not have looked into it in the past, but it was quite a significant time right from the childhood stage. So right from childhood, the two uh, parents of the families would get together and they would decide that their children were going to be married. And they, they felt that they did this because it was too um, reckless just to leave it up to a matter of the heart, they considered that, they, that the daughter or the son would choose the right person out of their affections, so the parents made the decision for them. That was the idea. And the last part of the engagement was this betrothal, which lasted for a year. It was absolutely binding. So for a year before, they were, in, in all things, considered husband and wife, except that they hadn't slept together. They hadn't consummated the marriage. And for that betrothal year, anything that betrothal to be broken uh, through divorce or through adultery or whatever, through unfaithfulness, then that whole thing could be dissolved. It was sad. So there was quite an important role in that betrothal time. And Matthew uh, captures um, Joseph's story in verse, chapter 1, verse 19. Joseph of Yonsei was a good man. They did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He didn't understand what was happening when he found out that she was pregnant. He knew it wasn't him. So what else could he think? He had no knowledge at that time that it was God who had uh, 
um, made Mary pregnant. So he decided to do the right thing and, enga- and, and dissolve the engagement quietly. At that time, God knew exactly what was going on for Joseph and so he gave him a message from an angel. It says in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, that cleared it all up for Joseph, didn't it? I don't know. But the fact that an angel from God had said that to him, maybe he should take notice. And so he did. There's something that happened in that time. They were happily planning a wedding, life together. Then it was almost as if somebody dragged a stick through the sand and saying, that was then. This is now. That was your plans. These are now God's plans for you. Don't know if God's ever done that for you. You've had these great ideas and these great travel holidays to Israel and God's drawn a line in the sand and you've gone somewhere else. Or other things in life. The good thing about Mary and Joseph was they were willing to obey God. And I think that's the lesson for us today. It certainly wasn't expected. It wasn't a part of their plans. But they heard what God had said to them and they needed to obey God. Luke chapter 1, we've read this uh, before. And it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Three things happened for Mary and Joseph at, Christ, at this first Christmas. And the three, three things were, Christmas changed other people's perceptions of them. Say that without a tooth. What would people have been thinking of them? Oh, this young couple, betrothed to be married, they've got plans, their wedding's coming up soon, it'll be exciting for them, then they'll have kids. Uh oh. They're having a kid now. So other people would have been judgmental. That doesn't happen in small country towns, does it? Nazareth was a small country town, it was a little bit out there, hardly ever known, uh, not really well thought of, so we find out later in the scriptures. But Gossip happens, stories happen, opinions happen in small country towns. Like I said, Nazareth wasn't much very well thought of, and even, even Jesus in his adult years, his contemporaries, some of the disciples didn't think much of Nazareth. Um, from Nazareth? You remember what, uh, I think it was uh, Philip uh, went to Nathaniel, and this is what happened. We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name in Jesus is Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip said. Didn't leave much of an impression on Nathaniel. So Mary and Joseph came from this small community, this small town. And when the angel came to Mary and said these words to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You know what? People's perceptions didn't matter anymore. Why? Because God was the only one in their audience. God was the only one that they needed to take any notice of. Mary had found favour in the eyes of God. 
And I know what that means for you. But it means it doesn't matter what other people say. What God says is most important. And what God will say about her was most important. Prior to that time, she probably would have been known as the good girl around town, doing all the right things. And Joseph would have been known as the good man, doing all the right things. But then guess what? Suddenly, the good girl was pregnant. But she was still engaged. Not married, though. And you can imagine how people's opinions of Mary and Joseph changed. But it didn't matter. Because God's opinion was the one that was most important at all. And there's going to be times in our life when we're doing the right thing, when we're following God's will, when we're, 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 we'll probably hear some comments from people that are looking at where we're doing life and saying, are you mad? Are you crazy? Why are you doing that? Why are you becoming a missionary? Why are you working on a faith basis? All those sort of things. But you know, their perceptions are not that important. It's what God's telling you to do that's important. And Jesus knew that. He forewarned his disciples and us that if we follow him, people won't understand it. In fact, they'll hate us for doing it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all, all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Why do they do those things? Because they don't understand the choice that we've made to follow Jesus. They don't understand the lifestyle that we choose because we follow Jesus. When you follow the one who was born on that first Christmas, just like Mary and Joseph, people's perceptions will change about, about you will change. But it's not always in a bad way, mind you. And it wasn't always a bad way for Joseph and Mary either. Millions of people since that time of the first Christmas have thought of Joseph the carpenter as Saint Joseph. Now, we don't tend to do that in our church, but certainly they've elevated his role. There's been hospitals, universities, we've got a local school called St. Joey's, that means St. Joseph, by the way. Our cities have been named after him in recognition of his responsible role in being the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ. One research agency said that the Spanish name San Jose, which is St. Joseph, is the most common name used for towns around the world. I didn't know that. New information for me. And then Joseph's wife, Mary, would be known as Saint Mary, the Blessed Virgin, the Holy Mother. And she didn't know that she would be the cause of many doubtless arguments and uh, controversies about that title in years to come. But it was given to honour them, honour their obedience to God. Because we serve Jesus, people will have opinions about us. They'll form opinions about us. Sometimes they'll be good, sometimes not. Either way, we need to understand that our purpose is not to perform, to, uh, to receive people's good opinions, but it's to conform to what God wants us to do. One writer said this, patterning your life around other, others' opinions is nothing more than slavery. So if we're listening to what other people think of us, we're bound up by what they think of us. Let's listen to what God thinks of us. Ultimately, God is that audience of one that we live our lives for. So the second thing that, that Christmas did for Mary and Joseph was Christmas changed their perception of themselves. So already we've read those passages where, 
where Mary was, was unsure when she heard the angel's um, uh, declaration. Joseph too, unsure. Now we can't control what other people think of us, but we can control what, about what we think about ourselves. And often what we think about ourselves is usually defined by what others say about us. And hopefully others are speaking good things into our lives. Our parents and grandparents, what an incredible responsibility you have to encourage and, and support our children and, and speak those positive good things into our lives so they have a good positive image. Well, for me and Joseph, God said something to them through that angel. He said to Mary and to Joseph that they had found favour in God's eyes. What, what more could somebody say that would encourage you to know that you have been acceptable, found acceptable in God's eyes? In fact, God says this to us all the time through the word of God. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own. God's chosen you. You aren't a mistake. You aren't an accident. You aren't a oops moment. You're a wonderful, beautiful chosen one by God. Do you believe that? Sorry, do you believe that? I thought you might. Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes this. God sent him, that's Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God loves us. Think of some of the words in the Bible that God uses for you and I. Those who believe in him as the one true God. He uses words like this. Chosen. Loved. Adopted. Redeemed. Favoured. Special. That's what God thinks of you. That's what God thought of Mary and Joseph. So their perception of themselves changed. And the third thing that for Christmas was Christmas changed their priorities. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've had children, you know that your priorities change. And if you know of other people who've had children, you've probably obviously seen some things change in their lives. Uh, sometimes it's uh, how often we socialise. Very often it's the budget changes. Our purpose goes from being me-centred to we-centred as a family. Those are often the changes. Well, for Mary and Joseph, the same thing happened. It's important when you become parents, and they are learning this, to take a back seat in most things so that the children might grow and become healthy and, and grow into adulthood. So when Mary found out that she was pregnant, she didn't find out with a test that she bought from Chemist Warehouse. She found out because an angel came and told her. What better information could there be? What better information would, would there be when he told her what was going to happen through this child? What he would accomplish? Listen again to this announcement in Luke chapter 1. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Most of us, when we have kids, don't know their life's plan. We, we have hopes and aspirations. Neither of my daughters became world-class surgeons and earned lots of money. That wasn't my plan for them anyhow. But there was a plan for Jesus. The plan was that he would be ruler, his kingdom would be 
never ending kingdom. And that's exactly what happened. And so that's what's happened now. We are part of the kingdom of God. A similar announcement was given to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Joseph was considering um, finishing the engagement with Mary quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you ought to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Gabriel could have easily said after that announcement, just by the way, there's no pressure. But I think that Mary and Joseph, one, once they got to understand what was happening, it would have been like somebody giving them a Christmas gift of a, a valuable Ming Dynasty vase that's worth a million dollars. And at the same time they say, by the way, don't drop it. So, so the Lord has this young and we have some glimpses into his childhood. Um, it was a time in Israel where child mortality rates was quite high. Uh, they didn't have a good health system. And it was in a land that was occupied by a foreign army. It was ruled by ruthless men. They were to keep Jesus safe and healthy. That was, a, that was sort of like a don't drop it moment, eh? Yeah, this is God's precious son. And he wants us to look after him. No pressure. Don't drop it. But what an awesome responsibility. Not that any of us don't have the same responsibility with our children of caring for them. And so we have a snippet into Jesus' life and in Luke chapter 2, uh, it says there, with them there, the child grew up healthy and strong, is filled with wisdom, and God's favour was with him. And we know the next time in the scriptures we see him, he was a uh, 12-year-old child with his parents going to visit the temple. And their responsibility for their son was to raise him in that loving home environment, to raise him to be aware of God. And you've got to work out, he was already aware of God, but they had to do the parent thing the best they could. We do too. Our responsibility is to raise our children and influence our grandchildren into the ways of God and following God. I wonder if there's been a line in time drawn for you this Christmas. Uh, do you take the time to look back and say thank you to God? Do you say, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do in my life right now? Certainly for Mary and Joseph, Christmas changed them. It changed the world. But for them, it changed their perception that others had of them. It didn't matter anymore because God was in their audience. It changed their perception of themselves. It changed their priorities in life. I trust that our priorities will no longer be me-centred, but they'll be we-centred, whether it be with our children, grandchildren, or our extended family and friends. That we'll embrace God and his will for our lives, just as Mary and Joseph did. That we'll be a part of God's family, as he's called us to be, and we'll do what he wants us to do, and that's love the world the way that he loves them. So if Christmas hasn't made a difference in your life, I trust that this Christmas will. There'll be this line in time for you. You don't need to draw a line in the sand. You just need to say thank you to God. Thank you for the then, thank you for the now. And then I might add, thank you for the days to come, whatever he has for you to do. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that the Christmas story for many of us is common, uh, usual. We, we, we often think that we know all the facts. But we thank you for your word that it's alive, it's real for us today. We can learn new things out of it. We can look into it even deeper and see what you did in characters' lives in the scriptures. We thank you for the story of uh, Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. We thank you for the way that you challenged us through it. Through it. We pray that in these coming days, especially over this Christmas week and beyond, the Father will enjoy the time with families when we can. We'll enjoy the uh, fun and the, and, and, and the food that we can have. But we'll always remember that there is a purpose in Christmas. May we be able to convey that with those that don't really believe it. May we be able to point them to Jesus, not just as the baby in the manger, but as the Saviour who went to the cross and rose again, that all might come into that personal and intimate relationship with the living God. That's our prayer today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.